The following message is by a guest speaker at Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Good morning. Um, it's good to see everyone this morning. Um, I just wanted to look at the passage first, and, uh, and then we'll pray and um, dive right in. So let's, uh, let's look at the passage. The passage for today is from Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. You can follow along um, in your Bible if you brought it uh, on your phone if you want, uh, or you can look up here. But Revelation chapter 3. Verses 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. I will never blot out his name. Uh, I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning because you have wrought our salvation for us, and we want to worship you. Um, You have saved us from a life of sin, a life of idolatry, a life of living for whatever the world thinks is important. And you have put in our hearts a passion to know you and to live for you. And every day we must choose whom we will serve. And Lord, today as we listen to your word and continue our worship, may you speak all the truth that you want to speak. And may the people have listening and ready hearts, not just to hear, but to listen and to live out the things that you are speaking to us today. Come Holy Spirit. Be alive in this place to work in our hearts. And as we leave this place, be alive to work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I just want to say good morning again. Um, there might be a few people that don't know who I am. I'm Paul. I'm one of the elders here. And occasionally I get the chance to speak. So don't worry. Everything will be back to normal next week. Um, so I wanted to start out um, just asking you a few questions, Okay. And the first question is, if Jesus were to return today, would you be ready? If Jesus were to return today, would you be ready? Okay, that's the first question. Um, The second question is, what is the main emotion you'd feel if Jesus were to return today? What would you primarily feel um, if Jesus were to return today? Would you... You know, is it joyful anticipation? Like, I can't wait for Jesus to return. You know, is that, that could be an emotion. 
Is it fear? Not yet, Jesus. <laughs> There's lots of things I want to do, okay? Um, or maybe the main emotion, just denial. Like you've heard this message before and you're like, that just messes up my whole life and I don't even want to think about that, you know? That could be a reaction, okay? So what would you feel? What would be the main emotion, okay? And the last question I wanted to ask, okay? If you were standing before Jesus right now, would you be able to say, Lord, I have been faithful to do everything that you have called me to do with what you have given me. I've done it all to bring you glory. I've been faithful to do everything. With everything you've given me, I have been faithful to do everything that you wanted me to do. Could, could we say that to him? Okay. Now, I think these questions bring into sharp focus our condition with respect to Jesus' return. Okay? It can range anywhere from longing for him to return to, I don't, maybe I don't really want him to return. <laughs> There's a lot of things I want to get done first. And it just exposes what's in our hearts. And are we ready? Are we ready? On the day when Jesus returns, the only really thing that will matter is did we live this life for him fully? Did we live completely for Jesus? Did we do all for him? Okay. The passage today, okay, from the book of Revelation, John is one of the, uh, the 12 apostles. He was in prison on the island of Patmos, okay, because of the gospel. He just wouldn't stop talking about the gospel. He was in prison, exiled to this island, and he's worshiping on the Lord's Day, and he's in the Spirit, and he, he has this vision. He's given this vision of times to come at the end. And in this vision, he sees Jesus, okay? And I want, I want, to, just, I want to read uh, in, from chapter 1, you know, when John actually sees Jesus. And so in Revelation chapter 1 says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And, I turn, and turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Okay? So the picture when Jesus first came to the earth is the suffering servant, right? No beauty. People didn't recognize him. He wasn't royal at all, right? And now he appears as Christ the King, glorified, okay? He's literally emitting light, okay? His face is like as bright as the sun. And imagine this Jesus, okay? He comes to our church, and you can see right through every single one of us, and he has words to say. And that's kind of what's happening here in the beginning couple chapters of, of Revelation. Jesus is speaking a specific message to each of the seven churches uh, of that time. And it could be encouragement or rebuke. It's just, I mean, he's just, he wants to tell them what's on his heart. He's having a heart-to-heart -heart with people, okay? And so Sardis, uh, just really quick background about Sardis. They were one of the major cities in Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey, okay? And they were known for their commerce and wealth, okay? They were a very wealthy, prosperous city. And they were also known as a former military stronghold. The geography of Sardis was, there was like, cliffs all around. The city was on a hill, so it's like 
kind of surrounded like this. The only way of real approach was from the front. And so although it was a natural fortress, uh, they f- the city fell not once but twice because they were not watchful. Okay, They only looked forward to see the enemy coming, but uh, what happened in their history is you know, the enemy scaled the cliffs and no one was watching and entered the city and opened the gates. And that's kind of how the city fell, fell twice. Okay, So they were not watchful. Um, this, the church in Sardis had a reputation of being alive, okay? Um, as mentioned in the passage, they had deeds, they, they were doing things. Um, and to men and to other people, they, they appeared happening, like that was a happening church, okay? Um, but when Jesus looked at the church of Sardis, he says in verse 1, I know your works. Although you have the reputation of being alive, you are dead. And that was what the living, this Jesus with his sword coming out of his mouth, and like, that's what he's saying to this church. You look good to everyone else, but you're really dead, okay? And he's saying, I see right through you. Although you appear alive on the outside, you're nearly dead. Wake up and repent. Wake up and repent, for I'm coming soon, okay? Although many things were happening in the church, and there was, you know, probably a lot of programs and things like that, this did not please Jesus, okay, when he looked at the church. Okay, so why? Okay, in 1988, uh, just to illustrate this reputation, okay, I'm sorry I couldn't think of a better illustration here. German pop group Milli Vanilli, okay, released their most famous song, Girl, You Know It's True, all right? I'm sure there's some of you out there that have no idea what this group is. Um, So this song launched the group into pop stardom, okay? It was their big hit. And um, they actually won a Grammy Award for Best New Artist from, from uh, from this song, okay? But there was a concert, and they went down, they're actually, they're remembered in infamy because at this concert, uh, the CD that they were lip-syncing to started skipping, okay? And so they were on stage, and, and actually, they can't sing, these two people. It was later revealed that many of they never actually sang the original vocals on the song, nor could they sing in, in a live performance. They were just, I guess, pop eye candy, right? And they had fooled everyone into thinking that they're true artists and entertainers and things like that. So their reputation was a lie, okay, this, this image that they projected. So the only reason I bring that up is because reputation can be defined as the beliefs and opinions that people generally hold about someone or something, okay, the beliefs and opinions that people generally have. In other words, your reputation is what people believe about you, okay? It's what they think about you, generally speaking. And Reputations can be based on, you know, truth. Like, hey, that Peggy, she's always been an honest girl. So her reputation actually comes from her character, how she actually is. Or the reputation can be completely fabricated to mislead, like in the case of Millie Vanilli. Okay? Um, so this church, Sardis, they had a reputation of being alive, growing, happening. Maybe they were blessed, you know. Maybe their services were really great. But when Jesus looked at them, the reality was they were spiritually dead spiritually dead, okay? So I, wanted, I thought it was interesting to kind of take a look at what do we look at when we see churches like today? What are the things that we look at to judge other churches like, like if they're growing or, or healthy, okay? So one of the things that humans look at, people look at, is maybe good teaching, okay? Wow, did you hear the latest sermon at Awesome Church? That pastor is so blessed, you know? He's so biblical. You know, I have his latest book, you know? So the, the teaching could be very strong. Another criteria that we could look at at other churches and kind of gauge is maybe their worship team, okay? Hey, you know, at Awesome Church, 
they have this, uh, this worship team that's, like, so talented, you know? Like, I get, it's like a concert every Sunday. I love it, you know? And I have their latest CD, you know? So maybe those are the things that really impress people. It could be growth in numbers, okay? Hey, did you hear Awesome Church planted three churches last year? Man, they're so growing. It's the Awesome Church planting manual. I, I have a copy of that, you know? So, so, you know, it could be maybe we look at churches that have, you know, growing numbers, and we think that that's a success. Or maybe they have a great missions and outreach program. Did you know that Awesome Church sent a team to the Middle East? Man, that's a 1040 window. That's the hard place to go to. And they're always sending teams to the city to, uh, to, to really minister and to serve. That is a happening place. That is, that is so anointed, you know. And so I'm not trying to say that churches shouldn't have these type of things, okay? But I'm just, I want to I paint a picture of the things that we look at as people that could give us the impression that a church is alive, Okay? And in the eyes of men, a church that has all these things, good worship, strong teaching, good fellowship, a missions and outreach program, um, when Jesus looks at a church, his criteria is completely different. Okay? His criteria is, it's not always, the, the things that impress us are not always the things that impress God, okay? To, to, put it, to put it plainly. And I think here's where we need to pause and take stock of ourselves at ICC. Okay? We have respectable leaders here. Okay? We have engaging worship. Right? Biblical teaching. We have good small groups. We're trying to be a welcoming church. You know? um, we have members that, you know they're, you know, they're caring for each other. Meal trains and stuff like that, right? The average member is a generally moral person. Okay? I mean, I don't know if there are any criminals or, or people like that here. And if you are, no, no problem. Grace of God and all that. But that's the crowd that we're dealing with, okay? And I think most of us would not look at our church and be like, that's a dead church. You know, that's a dead church. Um, but what would Jesus say? If he were to look at us right now, what would he say about ICC? And to a church that's eerily similar to ours, he says in, in, uh, in the passage, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. I think, I want, I want us to receive these words like they're for us, okay? Wake up and repent. I'm coming soon. The things that you think are impressive are not what I'm looking at. Wake up, okay? You have to understand God's heart for the church, for us, okay? It doesn't have a lot to do with the things that impress other people. It doesn't, Okay? gifted leaders, worship, all the things we talked about, okay? It has mainly to do with, do my people have a deep understanding and love for me? Do they know that I want to give them everything, everything, so that they can, have, they can live a life that's holy and pleasing to me? Do they know that? Are my people taking seriously that I am a holy God? I cannot tolerate sin. Okay? I will not share your love with anyone else. Are my people taking that seriously? I drew you out of enslavement and sin so that I would be your only treasure, that I would be yours and you would be mine alone. Okay? Therefore, wake up and repent. Wake up. Wake up. The things that you've been resting on are not the things that I've been looking at. Wake up. Okay? Let's put ourselves in start issues as we continue on this message, okay? taking this message to heart for us. I think the first thing here that Jesus says to the church in Sardis is to wake up, okay? So they've been sleeping on their deeds and activities. 
kind of the things that have been going on, the uh, bustle at their church. And, um, you know, we go to church. You know, we know the right answers. Um, we avoid major outward sins, you know, like murder and adultery and stuff like that. We acknowledge that, you know, we sin. You know, we're not going to be too proud to admit that we sin. But maybe a lot of us feel like, yeah, I do more good than bad. And so we, we feel okay about that. And so we kind of, these are the things we're resting on. Maybe you're even a leader or a spiritual influence over other people at this church. And that makes you feel, like, secure. Like, I'm in, you know. Um, these are the things that other people will look at and tell you, oh, you're great. You know, great message. Great, great leading worship. Great small group. I was really blessed by that. Um, and the message from Jesus is wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Okay? What does this mean, incomplete works? Okay? When Jesus says, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Because this is you know, sort of the indictment to the church in Sardis. The word complete um, here has the meaning of uh, fill up or to consummate or to fully realize. Okay? Um, so the opposite of that would be incomplete, imperfect, not fully realized, not fully mature, partial. Okay, so you're making an attempt, you're doing some good deeds, but they're not, they're not all there, okay? Um, I think a good example of this um, incomplete works uh, is the Pharisees, okay, the Pharisees. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees were a group of people that were highly regarded by the Jews. Um, they, they were a group that, you know, spiritual religious leaders, they followed the law as written in, the, you know, the law of Moses in the Bible, but they went beyond the law, okay? So, like, the law says, um, you shall not do any work on the Sabbath. Don't do any work on the Sabbath. And the, and the Pharisees took it a step further where they're like, if you drag your chair, and I, I, this is totally ripping from Dr. Steve's message a while ago, if you drag your chair in the ground and there's a groove in the ground, that's like plowing, and that's work, and that's a sin. So they, they went above and beyond, okay? And, and not only did they tithe their money, they tithe, like, the salt they were using, the, the dill and the spices. So they're like, here's a couple shakes for me, here's a shake for God. And I don't know if they brought it to the temple or whatever, but that's, that's what they did. They went above and beyond. Everyone was like, the Pharisees, they're it. They are the picture and example of what it means to be, like, close to God. And everyone respected them for it, okay? But this did not please God. You know, Jesus constantly railed on the, on the Pharisees saying, you guys are hypocrites, you're, you're actors, okay? You're acting this part, but you're really not, you know, loving God. In fact, he would always say, you guys are, you know, empty tombs full of death and decay okay? <laughs> to, to, the, to the leaders of the day, okay? Why? The motive with which they did things did not please God, okay? Their motive was, they basically wanted people to say, look at us. Look at how impressive we are. Look at how awesome my prayer is. Look at how, like, my robes are just awesome. You know, like, they, were, they wanted people to look up to them and respect them. Okay? They wanted glory. They were stealing. They were trying to serve God and be like, but they were actually stealing glory from God. Okay? Their motive was totally off. All right? Not only was their motive off, but they did not live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? They did not live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything they did was uh, on human strength and human willpower. Okay? Jesus constantly rebuked the Pharisees for their lack of love, their lack of mercy, that they go to the nth degree on their spices and tithing, but they don't care about people. 
Okay? Why? Because when, you, when, you, when you're commanded to love people, that's not something that you can just generate. It's actually easier to give a pinch of salt and tie that than it is to love that person that you don't want to love. Okay? Or to show mercy. That's like a, that requires heart change. That requires the Holy Spirit in your life. So Jesus was always pointing that out to them. Okay? In the eyes of men, Pharisees were like impressive. Okay? They, were, they had a great reputation. But to Jesus, they were hypocrites. Okay, they, their works were incomplete. They were proud. They didn't do it for love for God. And they did it limited, they limited to will, human willpower. Okay? So there is a way to go through church, the motions of church, teaching your kids. Maybe you guys read the Bible to them. There's avoiding obvious sins like we mentioned before. But in the end, you know, Christ is looking at us. He, wants to f- if he, he might find our deeds incomplete or lacking in some way. Okay? It's kind of like, you know, when I tell my kids, hey, clean your room, all right? And my idea of cleaning the room is very different from their idea of cleaning the room, okay? Um, they will shove things to the side, but I find that incomplete. You know what I mean? So I think maybe that's, that's another picture of how, how Jesus is looking at us. You kind of made an effort. You, you kind of did it. You think you did it. You think you, you hit it. But when, when, when God looks at it, it's just not, not quite there, okay? So that's what it means to... Um, when their works are incomplete, all right? And then the next thing in the passage, it goes on to say, remember, keep, and repent. Okay, so Jesus is saying, wake up, you know, and then, you know, you guys are sleeping on your, your, your past deeds. What, what, do we, what should we do? Okay, so it's remember, keep, and repent. In verse 3, uh, again, Jesus says, remember what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. So what are we to remember? We're to remember the gospel, okay? We're to remember that, Jesus suffered to, and took our punishment. Why? So that we could live fully for God. We could go to him. We could love him with everything that we have and live for him. He can be our trust and treasure. And now our mission is completely different in life. Before, we lived for our comforts, our pleasures, whatever it was, our kingdom. Now, we can live for his will and his kingdom. Okay? And when it says, okay, uh, Remember what you've received and heard. Keep it. So the keep it part, how is that done? Okay? The keep it part is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, every day you and I wake up and we must choose that day whom we will serve. Um, and somehow in that choosing, when we say, God, I want to choose to live for you. Lord, I don't want to respond in anger to my work situation or whatever it is that's going on in your life. We choose. We will choose. We will turn our face this way or we'll turn our face to our way. And when we turn our face this way to God, he empowers us with the Spirit, okay? It's not like... So there's a part that we play, and that's turning our face to Jesus, all right, every day. And then the Spirit, we we need to... It's a participation with the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. It's like an appliance that gets plugged in, okay? If you're not plugged in, that fan ain't going to blow, okay? That toaster's not going to work. But when you plug it in, you have power, power to actually live out and have fruit of the Spirit, have the fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, okay? The enabling is by the Holy Spirit, okay? That's how we keep it, okay? The only way Jesus will see our deeds as complete is if we... Remember what we've received and heard, the gospel, okay? We have to know our Bible, okay? 
I think it's possible these days to attend church and uh, listen, read books and um, hear messages and not really understand what the Bible is saying, have a very shallow understanding. Like you don't spend a lot of personal time wrestling with the Bible or just studying what it says. Okay? So how can we know the truth? So we need to remember the truth, we need to, which the truth flows out of the Bible. We need to know our Bible. Okay? Secondly, we must live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So the Bible gives us the truth. Right? The power to live comes from the Spirit. If some of you are like, Paul, I've tried that. You know, I've tried reading my Bible. I've, I just, I'm not a, you know, spiritual, I, I just can't get out of it what, what the pastors are getting out of it, what small group leaders are getting out of it. You know, every one of us, this is what you do. You open your Bible. First of all, carve out time. Open your Bible and be like, read it and ask the Spirit. Holy Spirit, you wrote these words. Please reveal to me the truth and how I should live out of this. Um, so involve the Spirit in your life. Not just in reading the Bible, but everything that we do. Okay? Um, if you don't know your Bible, okay, you can't know what God wants. You can't. And your opinions will be swayed by your friends, things you see on Facebook, society, maybe movies you see. I don't know. You'll, you'll be tossed around. Okay? You'll have no idea what God actually wants. If you know the Bible, but you don't have the power of the Spirit, You'll basically be a Pharisee, okay? You'll be like, okay, well, God wants me to love this person. Well, I'm going to revise the standard here to just, I won't talk to them, but I won't hate them, you know, or something, something along those lines. Do you know what I mean? You'll, you'll rewrite God's rules and laws into something that you can actually accomplish, okay? Um, if you know the Bible but don't have the power of the Spirit, all right? So we need to receive the truth from the Word. Always be reminded of that. And not just from on Sundays. I mean, Sundays is great. Um, small groups are great. But have a life. Have a, have a feasting of your own every day. If you're going to eat breakfast, you better eat your word in the morning too. Just like your body needs food, your spirit needs, needs the word. So eat it okay, every day. And those that receive the truth and live by the spirit, that's how this Christian life was meant to be lived. Okay? That's where the victory comes. That's where you hear testimonies. That's where you're like, I'm living the kind of life that I never thought I would live, nor would I have chosen to live, but God's leading me in this direction, okay? Um, one of the scary things that out of this passage is that really, uh, <laughs> it didn't make me feel good, okay, was here says only a few, yet there are few in Sardis that have not soiled their garments, okay? Um, so to me, a few is less than half, right? at least, okay? Half is more than a few. And I, I'm not trying to land on a number here, but I did some calculations based on the size of our church. So let's say there's 120-ish adults here, okay? Half that number would be 60, okay? Half that number would be 60, okay? A third of that number would be 40. So Jesus is saying to the church, a few of you are still walking with me. A few of you um, are walking with me in white, okay? 25% out of a church our size would be 30 people, okay? One leper came back out of 10. That's like 10%, right? That's 12 people. And <laughs> you know, as one of your shepherds, <laughs> you brought so much fear into my heart that such a small number of people in this body, you know, could be... I'm, again, I'm not 
calling out numbers here, but that such a small number of people are walking with the Lord in, in the case of Sardis. Okay? And I, I don't know if it's any different here. And that, that gives me pause. You know? It makes me want, you know, want, to, want to pray, Lord, wake us up. Wake us up to the things that you're expecting and that you want. Okay? Um, we've been taught that God's merciful, he forgives us, and he does. But we can't sleep on that, okay? These are the days of grace. God's wrath is being held back like a dam, okay? And, but there will be a day when that ends. There will be a day when God will let his judgment out in the world, okay? So while these are the days of grace, let us live ready. Let's pursue him. Let's lay down those things that we think are going to satisfy us so much that we're living for outside of him, okay? Um, there is one other place that I thought of when I, when I thought about the word few that um, Jesus says. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus uses the word few. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Those who find it are few. Um, so let's remember that. Let's, let's, let's keep that in our mind. Right? Okay, so... Although Jesus has this hard message for his church, you better wake up and repent. I don't see what you see. I'm not as impressed with the things that you're impressed by. Wake up and repent. Um, he, he, he lays out some specific rewards for those that are overcome, okay? Um, incentives, I guess, okay? Although the way is hard and narrow, there are amazing rewards for those that will persevere, okay? There are three specific rewards mentioned in the passage. One is, uh, they will walk with me in white. Those that overcome will walk with me in white. Okay? The second is, I will never blot out his name from the book of life. Okay? Book of life. I'll never blot out his name. The third reward, I will confess his name before my father and his angels. Okay? Um, so three, three specific rewards. Let's take a really quick look at what these rewards mean. Okay? The first one, they will walk with me in white. So those that live a righteous life, those that love God, and need him every day and just um, are not, are just very different from this world, they will be granted white garments, okay? White garments that symbolize uh, purity and holiness, unsoiled, unstained, okay? No other love, no other idol, okay? And these will be given to distinguish those that have overcome sin, temptation, and persecution, okay? Um, The second, I will never blot out his name from the book of life, in ancient times, each city had a register, so a list, basically, of all the ones that, like, citizenship meant you could, you know, I mean, you had privileges and rights, okay? And the list of citizens for each city would be a list. And if there was, like, a heinous crime that a citizen committed, their name could be struck from that list, and they would be denied all the rights of citizens, okay? So early Christians, because they were being persecuted by the Romans, um, they were constantly in fear of having their name struck from the list, and it's to this crowd that Jesus is saying, for those that overcome, your name is guaranteed in my book of life, okay? Um, I don't think it's talking about losing your salvation or, you know, that possibility. I think it's this illusion of, of the reward is no matter what you go through in this life, no matter how hard it is, your citizenship in heaven is secure. It's secure for those that overcome, okay? So that's what it means when it says, I will not blot your name out from the book of life. And thirdly, the third reward, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels, okay? 
Um, so another, uh, so Jesus will publicly, you know, declare, you know, I don't know, it's going to be thousands of people, and they'll say, hey, you know, Cindy has been faithful here in her life. She had some, uh, I asked her to do some really difficult things in her life, but she walked with me, okay? Or Thomas here, good and faithful servant. He's going to say that in front of God and everyone else, okay? Um, so these rewards, actually, the listeners to this letter of revelation or this vision would have understood these images as being like a victorious Roman army coming back to the city. And there was a parade, okay? And when the, when the army's um, victorious, they're, they're clothed in white. You know, they, there's a parade, there's speeches, like distinguished acts in the, in the battle. You know, they, they read it out loud in front of the assembly. This is the picture that the early Christians were given so that they would have hope and they would persevere in the face of severe uh, persecution, okay? White robes. Okay, walk with me. And Jesus is, again, reminding the church, those that overcome and persevere, I will reward them, all right? So there are, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if those, sound, those things sound attractive to you, but I think they'd be pretty awesome to have your name declared in front of the entire assembly of heaven, okay? Faithful, faithful in all my house, all right? I wanted to just spend a couple minutes just um, sharing a little bit of my personal journey in living for Christ's return. Um, this passage, you know, says it in verse 3, I'll come like a thief. You will not know at what hour I will come against you. He's talking about his return. Later on in, in verse 11, which we're not covering in this passage, he says, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. And I would have to say that most of my life, I knew that Jesus was going to return, but it didn't make any serious difference in my life. Okay? It was a doctrine I knew. Someday Jesus is going to return, but it's been 2,000 years, and I didn't really think about it. Okay? For practical, practically speaking, I, I, I lived in denial. Okay? Um, and I thought life would go like this. Okay? I would get to live a good number of years, okay? maybe 70 or 80 depending on how medicine's going these days. I thought I would get to see my kids grow up, have grandkids, you know, and things like that. Uh, I would get to be wrinkly and old with my wife, you know. I was looking forward to that, living comfortably. And at some point, I would die and go to heaven. I didn't really think about that too much. But that was sort of the, the sketch I had in my mind. And maybe some of you are similar. And back in the spring, maybe in March or April, I remember the moment. Um, my wife had been, you know, and I had been talking a lot about Jesus' return, and she was being really convicted. And, and we were driving home from church, and we were on Salem Avenue, turning right onto Gulf to go towards the highway. And it was a red light. And she turned to me, and she's like, my husband, Jesus is going to return soon. And when she said that to me at that moment, I, was like, I believed it. I don't know why. I was like, and I'm going to tell you my reaction. I felt like someone had just told me, you have four months to live, okay? Like I had been given a terminal diagnosis. And my reaction was fear. I was afraid. I was like, I really thought my, I mean, the first thought, you know, is myself. Am I ready? Am I really ready? Am I living in such a way where I can stand before Jesus and not be ashamed? You know, am I ready? And... You know, I had just assumed at that point, you know, I'm a, I'm a leader at the church. I'm going to church all my life. I, 
you know, whatever. Whatever things that I thought I could stand on were completely <laughs> undermined at that moment. Because I'm like, I don't know if those things are going to matter to Jesus, you know. And, you know, am I walking with him? Do I know my master's voice? If he were to speak to me right now, could I recognize him? <laughs> those are the thoughts that are going through my mind. Okay? And then the next thought I had after myself was like, what about my kids? What's going to happen to my kids when the day of judgment comes? You know? And I thought about that. And we talked long and hard about that. And what came to mind as I thought about all these things was that I thought about all the things I would miss out on in this life if Jesus were to return. Okay? Like, man, I wouldn't get to... Are we ever going to move into a bigger place so that our kids can run around? You know? Am I going to see them grow up and mature into adults? Would I ever get my black belt in jiu-jitsu? You know? You know? You know, all the things I had assumed would happen eventually, that I would get to experience, would they even happen? You know? I realized that my heart was so captured and tied to this world. I didn't think it was as much, but it totally showed me that <laughs> I was totally like, this, there were things in this world that I had put my roots down in that were, that's why I was sad, you know? That's why I was nervous. And I realized how little I was actually longing for Jesus to return. The next realization I came to was time. I think I had been telling myself that I had time. I had time to get right with God later. These sins that I've been going through and I know that they're bad, like, I'll just deal with them later. It's just a season of my life. I've got kids. You know, I'm busy. It's just how everyone is. Okay? All the excuses that I've been making about doing it later, whew, gone. Okay? Um, I'll have time later. To f- I'm going to focus on what I want now and what God wants later. That was like the vague idea in my mind. Okay? I'll tell my friends and family about Jesus later. I'll really live for him later. For now, I'm going to do whatever I want. It's literally what I thought. And when it hit me that Jesus was going to return, I began to change. Okay? I, <laughs> I wanted to spend more time with the things that mattered. Okay? I wanted to spend more time with God. Personal time. Okay? Not forced. Sometimes I would just sit there and be like, I just want to be in your presence, God. Just you and me. That's why you died. That's why you sent your son to die, so I, I could spend time with you. Know you deeply. Live for you. My priorities shifted to the things that God wanted. I would bring out my guitar like I haven't done in a long time and just spend some time like praying through these songs to him. Um, thinking about him more. Involving him more in my decisions. It motivated me to grow because the time was short. Okay? Things like a bigger, nicer, comfortable things. Um, like I didn't... Those things became way less important to me. Okay? Um, I actually started to share the gospel. You know, um, Embarrassed to admit that as one of the leaders of the church, like, I, I couldn't really think of how many times I'd shared the gospel in the last few years to people. But now I'm like, after jiu-jitsu, we're all sweaty, we're sitting around. I'm like, dude, do you have any questions about Jesus? Like, I would just, you go to church, man? Really? Okay, tell me about it. You know, I would, I, like, I, it was gone. Gone. Whatever was holding me back, like embarrassment, or I don't know what to say. I was like, Whatever. Let's just talk about it. You know, those, someone would ask me, like, hey, man, how are you? you? Oh, great. You know, what have you been thinking about? Oh, actually, I've been thinking about Jesus' return. <laughs> and I would, 
that was my conversation, you know. So I would go to this work conference, and my roommate, I was like a potluck roommate there, and I would just, that's when the Boston, you know, riots were happening, and I just started talking about being ready for Jesus' return and, and just talking to him about what he thought about Jesus. I became less afraid, okay. I, I'm not saying that I'm all there or like I'm the, the great example of someone that's living for Jesus' return. And obviously, this is a work of the Spirit, okay? It's not something that I decided to do, wake up and do one day, all right? Um, but for someone that most of my life, I didn't really take what the Bible was saying seriously. To wake up, that is like a miracle, okay? And I've been praying that that miracle would happen today to you. More and more, I can honestly say I'm looking forward to Jesus returning. It's not so much fear. It's not, um, I don't want you or wait. It's, I can't wait. My, my wife and I, we talk about heaven. <laughs> like, what's it going to be like? I know we're not going to be married, but are we going to still hang out? You know, like, and like I tell my kids, like, you know, we talk about heaven with my kids, you know. These are the things, you know, we can look forward to. And I think about, you know, when Jesus first came to the earth, like in the Bible, messianic prophecies, and the Jews, they knew to expect the Messiah, but many of them missed it. Many of them missed it, okay? I think I, I started to recount, like, who really knew this Jesus was the Messiah, okay? Like Mary, his mother, because like an angel told her, okay? Elizabeth, his cousin, the mother of John the Baptist, she knew, okay? The wise men that traveled I don't know, a couple months to get there. They saw the signs and stars. They were actually watchful and expected. Simeon, this old guy who the Spirit told that you would not die before you see the Christ. And maybe the prophetess Anna, maybe a handful of others. I think that's most of it. But the rest of everybody else missed it. Okay? Now, when Jesus returns a second time, you know, the Bible says, it's going to be obvious. You know, lightning from east to west. No one's going to have any doubt. But in this case, uh, many will not be ready. Okay, not prepared, not ready. And there's going to be two groups. Those that are longing for Jesus' return and living in such a way uh, where they just can't wait for that. And there's another group that's going to be caught completely off guard that thought it wouldn't happen in their lifetimes. Okay? So what do we do? <laughs> what do we do? I don't want, I don't believe the reaction to this is to be afraid or have fear generally. I think it's to focus Okay? Not fear, but focus. It's, what are we supposed to do? Do the things that we already know to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Have a relationship with him. Take on his will and his mission. Be a living example of the gospel. And, and tell people about it. That's the mission of God. He's waiting one more day to return so that one more person would come to him, so that one more person would wake up. Okay? Take on that mission. Okay? Pray that... If you're like, man, I know my heart. I'm, I'm totally not re- ready for Jesus. Pray that God would make your heart ready. Pray, ask him. Okay? Recognize and repent of the things that we built our hopes up in this world and invest. Spend time with the one that loves you. Spend time. The church is the bride of Christ. Does this, do spouses live in the same house and, and when they don't talk to each other, that's called practical separation, okay? Have a relationship with our Lord. Don't stand on your past faithfulness, okay? I just wanted to wrap up with a song that's been, you know, I've been listening to and, and singing. It's a song from the Passion Worship. It's called Even So Come. And the, one of the verses reads, 
Call back the sinner. Wake up the saint. Let every nation shout of your fame. Jesus is coming soon. And the chorus says, Like a bride waiting for her groom, we'll be a church ready for you. Every heart longing for our king. We sing, even so come. Lord Jesus, come. Even so come. Lord Jesus, come. When the early Christians greeted each other, they said, Maranatha. They didn't say hello. They said Maranatha. And they were being persecuted and put to death because of their faith at the time. And Maranatha means, come, O Lord. And it was a reminder that their hope was not in this life, but in Christ. Daily reminder. Every time they saw each other, come, O Lord. And that's the mindset that we should have as people that belong to the king. Let's bow our heads and pray. I know that in some people's minds, it's hard to really think that Jesus will return soon in our lifetime. Why has he delayed for so many years? That's been 2,000 years. And he's waiting so that one more person will repent. He's waiting so that one more sleeping person in the church would wake up. He's waiting to harvest at the right time millions of people in the Middle East, millions of people in places where his name is not publicly declared. It's for mercy that he waits. These are the days of grace, but they will not last forever. When we make plans in our lives, what kind of house do we want to live in, how many kids do we want to have, we look at the end and then we plan backwards from there. And you and I know how the end will come. Jesus will return. He will be triumphant, victorious. He will judge the world. There will be two camps. Those that love and live, live this life for him and those that did not. He will bring final judgment with eternal consequences. But many of us are living in a way that's like it's, like, it's like we're living like that day won't happen. We're entangled in the busyness of our lives, our comforts, our will, our kingdom come, our will be done. And if I have some time left over for God, okay. If I have some money left over for God, sure. And the choice is before you, brothers and sisters. You who are hearing my voice, you have a choice every day. Will you be one who looks to Jesus and longs for his return and receive your white robes to have your name in the book of life guaranteed and to have your name declared good and faithful servant before millions and millions Or will you be the other group that when Jesus returns, it will catch you completely off guard like a thief in the night? How will you live? How will you choose to live? Let us live today in a way that shows the world that we are longing for our Lord's return. Spend some time just praying, meditating, reflecting. Ask the Lord, Lord, what should I do? Open my eyes, wake me up. And um, we'll continue in our worship in response.